Hi everyone, welcome back to the Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks everybody. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready, grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's roll. Well, hopefully you made your way to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, 35 for our message, The Man Who Rescued a Nation. And the beautiful thing about reading through God's Word and the anchored in the Word is that you move through these passages, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, and they're a laboratory of leadership. They're a laboratory of leadership because you see the beginning of a leader and his life and then the end of a leader in very short chapters or maybe two or three chapters. And what it does is it gives us the the ability to glean lessons. You see, the man who rescued a nation in this passage of scripture is a guy, one of my heroes in the Kings, is a guy by the name of Josiah. Out of the 20 kings in the kingdom of Judah, which is in southern Israel, because they had a civil war and they were divided, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the 20 kings, there was only eight good kings, and Josiah is one of those kings. You see, the problem with every nation is very much like Richard Cobden, the British political leader back in the 18th century, said this. He said, every great nation fell by suicide, meaning that they are killing themselves as a nation. And that's what we've observed in the last year. We have seen the the worst president in American history that has pushed forth an agenda that is rejecting constitutional principles and rights. And this week, he personally asked me a question. You say, how did he personally? He called me up, said, Rick, heard you've been talking trash about me on the West Coast. No, if you watched his speech, as I did this week, he said, name one thing Republicans are for, and I took that personal. And so I had a list of 10 things that we're for. We're for the U.S. Constitution, amen? We're for parental rights. We just saw an example. We're for no masking or vaccine pressure. We're for no inflation because of ridiculous stimulus packages that are spending so much money, we're going to be buried in inflation. We're for law and order. Oh my. That police officers can do their job, arrest bad people, and put them in jail. It would be an amazing thing. We're for voter integrity, which they pushed this big bill all last week, and it's Jim Crow 2.0. It's voter suppression. Is it voter suppression to do what every civilized country in the world has discovered? Nolan Boyd's corruption, and that's you must show up in person with an ID. Oh my, that's so racist. How is that racist? How does that deny anybody? You know, when I show up at the hotel, what do they ask for? My ID. If I'm young and I go in and I buy a six pack of beer, what do they ask for? They don't go, voter suppression. Alcohol suppression, (laughs) hotel room suppression. It's totally ridiculous. It's so insane, the rhetoric and the angle that they take. We are for secure borders. Isn't that something? If we say we're for secure borders, we're called xenophobes, that we are fearful of foreigners. We're not fearful. America has the most generous immigration law in all of the world, a million people a year. We just want them to come legally not streaming as an invasion two million people across the border. We're for a strong national fence for somebody that would be willing to stand up to China or Russia or North Korea or Iran and not leave our people in Afghanistan and bring 100,000 other people home that are not even citizens. It's a crazy thing that we live, and it seems so logical. So what are we for? These are things that we are for. And we live in a time that is a great opportunity to stand up, stand up for what's right. I love what Winston Churchill, who is accredited to single-handedly saving Western civilization by his incredible leadership in Great Britain. By the way, they're leading again. They just dropped all mass mandates and all vaccine mandates. (laughs) Our British relatives got it right. 
But Winston Churchill said this, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. So we see the opportunity in this difficulty. It feels like we're surrounded, we're outnumbered, but like the commander when he was told that by his reconnaissance team, sir, we're surrounded. He said, great, doesn't matter which direction we shoot, we're gonna hit somebody, it's awesome. <laughs> great opportunity. But as we move forward, President Lincoln said it best for this season in our own country. He said, we the people are the rightful masters of both Congress and the courts, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow men who pervert the Constitution. In our passage of scripture, we see a guy, and there's eight thoughts I wanna highlight over these eight chapters, or these two chapters, they'll be brief, but you will see the picture of a man who starts young and how God uses him. Once again, this is the man that rescued a nation for a season of 31 years through his incredible leadership that started as a boy. We're gonna stand now for the reading of God's word, and we're gonna read the first seven verses of this passage of scripture. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images." They broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and in the incense altars which were above them he cut down. And the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them, and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes." When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Father, we ask that now you would open our eyes and we'd see wonderful things from your word by your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The first thing we discover about Josiah is his heart for God. Now, in their culture, right, his dad died, Ammon, and he was assassinated. He was an evil king, his father. He was assassinated, but the people surrounding and supporting the family, the royal family, they put an eight-year-old on the throne. Just think about it. An eight-year-old now is the king, and his name is Josiah. But it tells us in the eighth year of his reign, so eight years of age, eight years into his reign, he's 16 years old, and it says, while he was still young, in verse three, he began to seek the God of his father, David. You wanna rock the world? You're gonna do it through a relationship with God. Because if God before you, who can be against you? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God gives strength, inner strength, to the person as, as they point towards his will and his desires. And here at the age of 16, you, know, you have a 16-year-old home? You know what they're usually up to? They're not changing the world, I promise you. <laughs> right, they got their skateboard, they got their phone, and they're playing video games. But he begins to seek God. Maybe he went to uh, that year's summer camp. Kids go to summer camp, fall in love with Jesus, come back. But if you're like me, I didn't grow up in church. I wasn't really exposed to it except for when my grandparents drug me to church, which I really didn't enjoy it very much. It was a bunch of old people singing out of tune old songs. And, and so it was not very attractive to me. Yet at the age of 19, God supernaturally broke into my world, three years older than this 16-year-old, and he changed my life. You see, the first thing that's gonna happen in your life, if you're going to be useful and you're going to rescue your marriage, you're gonna rescue your family, you're gonna rescue your neighbors, you're gonna rescue a nation, the first thing you're gonna do is begin to seek God. Because God will infuse you with the wisdom and the strength and the determination and the stamina to accomplish his will. It says in Matthew 6, which is my life verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. 
I discovered this verse as a young Christian and realized this is the key to the Christian life. But I'll just seek God first. All the other priorities of life just fall into place. But my whole life, I had spent trying to prioritize the rest of life, and God wasn't even on the list. And I was always a mess. But when I put Jesus first and began to seek him first, he just began to sort out the rest of things. So the first thing I have to do, the primary thing I have to do, each day, each week, each month, each year of my life, is seek the Lord. And watch what he's going to do. And this is what happened in Josiah's life as he had a heart for God. Now, as soon as you have a heart for God and you begin to seek him, what takes place is then you begin to be reoriented towards what is right in his sight, in his eyes. For the second thing that Josiah does, he has a heart for what's right. It says in verse 3 also, in the 12th year he began to purge. So now he was 16 now he's 20 years of age. So four years of seeking the Lord, he starts really sensing what God wants him to do, and now he begins to pursue what is right. And for them, the children of Israel, they had been given in the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments, that they were to have no other image, no other gods before God. So every time they fell out of favor with God, they would start turning to false gods. And as they turned to these false gods, they would make them of wood, they would make them of uh, metal, they would make them of uh, whatever it is. And so they would turn their hearts and they would start trusting a little statue, which Jeremiah makes fun of in such a ridiculous way. He says, they go out and chop down a log, and with piece, a piece of it, they, they start the fire to cook dinner, right, piece of that wood. And the other part, they make into a God and then bow down and pray to it. Now, how wise is that? Right? How smart is that? And so he goes around the country destroying all of these false gods and tearing them down. Now, Josiah is so unique, not only because of his youthful passion and because we have a chronological uh, listing of how these things incrementally happened in his life, like no other king, but he was spoken about this is mind-blowing. He was prophesied 300 years before he came on the scene by name. 300 years. You see, this is 630 B.C. In 940 B.C., Jeroboam had uh, created a false uh, worship up in the northern kingdom, and he built a false altar, and a prophet came there and said, one day there's a guy, well, let me read it to you in 1 Kings 13 too. He says, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you... He shall sacrifice the priests of the high places and who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. So that was a 300-year-old prophecy. Check that out. I mean, our country is not even 300 years old, right? As far as from 1776. And 300 years before Josiah shows up and says, you know what, I think I'm going to cleanse the land and destroy all these false gods and all these false altars. So as the story goes in the book of Kings, which is the parallel passage to this, he shows up and he takes these pagan priests' um, bones out of the graves and he burns them on this false altar and he's going to destroy it. And then he looks and he points at that tomb and he says, who's buried in there? And they said, that's the prophet in that tomb that said you were going to come 300 years ago. He goes, well, let's leave him alone. <laughs> let's have a little respect for him. Right? <laughs> but it, wouldn't it blow your mind... <laughs> If 300 years ago there was a prophecy with your specific name, that's who this guy is. And so as he begins to fulfill these things, he realizes this. Before you can build and plant and do the good, sometimes you have to tear down the corruption. This term has been coined over this last decade of the Washington, D.C. swamp. It's corruption, right? It's corruption through and through. And President Trump said he's going to go there and drain the swamp, but he realized how big the swamp monsters were, right? They're huge, and they fought him tooth and nail for four years. The corruption in our nation basically is the same. You just have to change all the imagery, you guys. So in the Old Testament, it was all these false gods. You see, if they had an unwanted child, they went to Molech, which was a metal idol that they stoked the fire underneath, this hollow metal idol. And if you had an unwanted pregnancy, you just had your child, and then you put that baby in the arms of a red-hot God to sacrifice it. This is what the Bible says, and they passed their children through the fire. This is what it means to the God of Molech. 
You see, we just have abortion clinics that are more sterile. But it's unwanted pregnancy that inconvenience people, right? But then they could say, oh, I offered it to a god, Molech. Basically, you're just getting rid of your kid. So you can go through and you can look at all of the names of their gods. And what they emphasized, is that you? And the God of Molech is in that car right there. <laughs> so Jeremiah realized before you can build and plant, sometimes you have to tear down. This is the way the Lord said it to him in Jeremiah 1.10. See, I have this day set, before, set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. Do you realize that? That he uses four terms. I got to root out. I have to pull down. I have to destroy. I have to throw down before I can do the good things that I want to do, which is just build and plant positive things, right? It's not that we're just about the negative things, but sometimes if you want to do a remodel, you have to tear out these walls. And, and the messy part is the, you know, the destruction of the remodel, and then you begin to rebuild. Now, in the New Testament sense, we're not going around destroying anything physical, all right? No, no buildings, no idols. This, this is an Old Testament picture. But in the New Testament, what is the arena in which we are pulling down things? Ideology. In thoughts, in this area of free thought, we're bringing truth to a culture of lies. That's why censorship now has become dominant, right? Because if you have no answer to the truth, what do you do? You just shut up whoever's speaking. That's what you do. You shut them up. Because you have to censor their language. Because you have no strength in your argument, so you just have to delete their account. You have to shut them up. Paul the Apostle said it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You can't expect, just think about our culture when it started, the believers, the Christians that came to America to find refuge and freedom and liberty and worship, then they began to start the schools. They began to start the clinics and the hospitals. Everything came out of good people that loved God. But then what happened? They're slowly pushed out of the schools. They're pushed out of government. They're pushed out of the halls of justice. Get that Ten Commandments off the wall of the courthouse. They are pushed out of uh, the medical realm. They're pushed out of all those things. And so is it a big shocker? When we have a godless political system and a godless school system, because as soon as you remove God, who wants to bring you freedom and liberty, what happens? Man always wants to bring you into slavery. Always, always, always. And it happens in regimes around the world. As soon as you want to do what's right, like Josiah did, I just declare to people, brace yourself because the smear campaign is on, a, on its way towards you. That smear campaign, the smear tactics of the leftist satanic trolls, they will call you a racist, white supremacist, a homophobe, a transphobe, a xenophobe, and a cult. But you guys, I want you to know that when they call us all those things, we're in good company. Because first of all, we're not racist, white supremacists, homophobes, transphobes, xenophobes, or cults. We're none of those things. We're just good people that love God and believe his word is true. Right? And we want people to be free. But Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11. He said, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. People in John the Baptist's day were saying he was demon-possessed, but he was God's servant. So they were, that was their smear campaign. How did they try to shame him? How did they try to shut him up? How did they try to cancel him? By calling him bad names, that he's demon-possessed. Jesus said the Son of Man himself... He came eating and drinking. They said, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So they said Jesus was a drunk and a glutton. They tried to smear him. Brace yourself when you want to stand for what's right. Some of you have discovered. You posted something on Facebook. You posted something on your Instagram account. You did this or that, and then all hell broke loose to destroy you because you may not color outside the lines of the leftist propagandist machine. And so you just have to brace yourself. Jesus seemed to be okay with it. Jesus is like, okay, they're going to call me a drunk. They're going to call me a glutton. John the Baptist is like, hey, they're going to say I'm demon-possessed. And all we're here is doing is sharing God's love and sharing God's truth. 
You have to get used to this fact, as it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, get this, this is a perfect verse for cancel culture. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. So let them say whatever they're going to say. I want you to know, somebody was telling me this week, hey, did you read the acorn and what they're saying about you? I said, who cares? <laughs> right? In the opinion of it. Who cares? Letters, letters to the editor. Because they'll print anything. Right? So, well, they say all publicity is good publicity, so bring it on. You guys know that you are now a part of the Godspeak cult. <laughs> I think... I think you guys, as long as we love Jesus and love his word and don't serve Kool-Aid, we're going to be okay. Right? (laughs) We're just going to love Jesus, uh, love the Lord. Now, the third thing, Josiah's heart for God's house. Because you see the progression in his life. He's 16 he starts seeking God. Four years of seeking God. He goes, you know, I, I want to do what's right. I, I want to I drain the swamp of the corrupt idol worship in our nation. And then he looks to God's house, and it's all falling apart because everybody had abandoned the house of God. Do you know how many churches are shutting in America every week? People are exiting. They're just, like, getting out because they don't have the courage to stand. So it says, in the 18th year of his reign, so he's 26 years old now, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan and three of his friends to repair the house of the Lord, his God. And when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God. They put that money into the foreman who had the oversight for the house of the Lord. And they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore it. They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timbers. And the men did the work faithfully. So it's very simple. Last Sunday night, we had a building meeting. We would love to have a larger sanctuary to fit more people and reach more people for God's kingdom. And so we need God's people to give as they purpose in their heart. And we'll put that money into the hands of the architects and into the builders, and it'll all happen. It's just, there's nothing. I've went through multiple building projects where I was for 25 years before I came here. Um, we had a 27-acre campus. We Went, took a grain field and built up 82,000 square feet. We had a school that went all the way through high school with a double gymnasium because I'm kind of a sports nut. And, uh, you know, in our second year with our new gymnasium, we won the state volleyball championship. And all of that just to build it up all for God's glory. But I remember being in that grain field. I was really discouraged because a deal had just fallen through through a trade of a, a building that was existing. A Winco had moved from its older building into a newer building, and so we were negotiating to move into that. Because I didn't want to build from new because it's top dollar. And I was discouraged. I'm out in this grain field. They had just harvested it, and we had this 27 acres. And I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord spoke to my heart so clearly. He said, Rick, you only have faith for junk. And I, wrote, I, I grew up as a poor kid. You just make do with whatever you have. But he really rebuked me. And it was one of those moments you're just having a heart-to-heart. Like, and I don't mean an audible voice. I mean, when the Lord ministers to me, it's like in these clear thoughts in my mind that I know did not come from me. It's like crystal clear. Like he's talking to me and usually giving me a little spanking. So <laughs> it's usually how it works for me. And uh, so he says, you only have faith for junk. But I want something beautiful for my people. And I kind of stepped back. I thought, Wow. Okay, well, beautiful is expensive. Good thing you got deep pockets, I told the Lord. <laughs> I said, let's get with it. Let's spend your money, right? And so we embarked on, you know, six phases, that a total of eight phases for the development of the property. But it was crazy because uh, I felt like the Lord leading us to build this, the uh, asphalt prices, petroleum was really low. So I wanted to build the, the big parking lot, which would be about 600 parking spaces for our large sanctuary that seat about 1,000. And because of the timing, it seemed really awkward because we had a smaller church. And I told our board, I said, I really feel like the Lord wants us to build a parking lot. And they said, well, that's kind of crazy. It's going to look like a Walmart parking lot with a little woodshed out there. I mean, it's going to be really funny looking. I I said, I don't know why. Let's just, what do you think? And we all prayed about it. We thought it was great. So we did it. And it was. When it was all done, we we had a board meeting. We were all standing out there like, this is crazy. Look at this big parking lot. Why do we do this now? Look at the little church. (laughs) A month later, the Department of Energy called us because we had a nuclear test site that was 50 miles out in the desert, 
And they wanted to start busing everybody out. And they needed an eastern campus for all of their buses. And they would, it would be the bus stop. So hundreds of cars would come to our parking lot and they would pay us 10 grand a month. We said, we're in. <laughs> we're in. I told people would tell me that this is the Obama years. And I said, do you know that Obama supports missionaries? <laughs> no, what are you talking about? I said, no, he supports missionaries. He supports 10 grand a month right here at our fellowship. He supports us preaching the gospel. And they come and park on our parking lot. It's awesome. You see, when you let God lead, God will do special things when you walk by faith. So Josiah, he had a heart for God. He had a heart for what was right. He had a heart for God's house. He had a heart for God's word. It tells us in verse 15, then Hilkiah said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Now Shaphan's the scribe. He goes to the king and he reads for the first time, just get this, you guys. It's the temple. It's the house of God. They lost their Bible for years. It's, I guess that's not so strange. Go to some churches today on Sunday morning, it's like they lost their Bible. Right? They get together and have a little, you know, some, <laughs> some donuts and cookies and, and had a few nice stories and that was it. And you're leaving like, well, was that it? That was it. They really never shared God's word. And if they do share God's word, they only pick the flowery verses that are good wall plaque material, right? Kind of a little pep talk. They're not going to talk about the hard stuff. They're not going to call people to repentance. But the high priests had never seen the word of God. This is the, the scroll of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He finds the word of God. He goes, can you believe it? I found a Bible in God's house. So Shaphan takes it to the king and he reads it. And the king's so convicted by what he hears. Now he already has a heart for God. He already has a heart for doing what was right. He already had a heart for God's dilapidating house of God. But now he is so struck, it tells us in verse 19, thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. He just pulled his clothes apart as a sign of mourning like, I'm so convicted. We are, we are toast because God's promises were based upon the children of Israel's behavior. So they were in serious trouble. So he says, go inquire of the Lord for me. And so Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, and this is what she answered. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, which is King Josiah, Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the curses that were written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me. You're right. My word is true, and that's going to happen. But look at this. This is so important. Because of Josiah, the leader of the nation of Israel, was humble before God and wanted to do what was right, God pushed the pause button on judgment and paused it for another 20 years. Do you realize that good leadership can preserve life, peace, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? If we will raise up and be good leaders, we can extend it by decades, by God's grace, and stay off the inevitable consequences of people that have turned their back on God. This is what it says, Holden went on. Because your heart, she saying to the king, was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So he's 26 years old when this happens. He dies at the age of 39, preemptively, as we'll see in a moment. But do you have a heart for God's word? Because God's word is what will keep your heart soft towards him. That's why we're doing the two years reading through God's word. So that as a congregation, we're reconnecting with the Lord, with his heart, in his word. And that's why Rob and my preaching goes with the reading that we're doing. There's a method to our madness. And it really comes from a picture of leadership that we see here in the life of Josiah. We went through this same process, you guys. I called it uh, the Josiah Project at Calvary Chapel of San Jose for seven months before I came here to help at God speak. 
We went through this process. We turned to God's house. Their, congr- their church was falling apart. We did a $2 million remodel on it. We brought them back to God's word. Though they loved the Lord and were teaching his word, they started going through a two-year Bible reading plan. And the church went from 450 people on the weekend. Now they're bumping 3,000 a weekend during this time. I call it Corona Revival because all the, all the churches are closing in town. And for such a time as this, God Speak Church in Calvary Chapel of San Jose stood up with great leadership, godly leadership, and the word of God. And now thousands of people are coming to that church for refuge. Even though the county will not relent and they have some like $3.8 million in fines. They will not relent. They sent OSHA after them a few weeks ago. And they came in and they said, you don't have a warrant. And they came back with a warrant and they interrogated all their school staff because they have a Christian school. They're, the progressive left is weaponizing the agencies of government, whether it's the FBI now coming to investigate parents at a, at a um, school board meeting and, and setting up shop like they're domestic terrorists. Unless we stand up, they are coming for us, comrade. They are coming for you. And they are going to drag you off as this domestic terrorist. Unbelievable. Josiah has a heart for God's people because, you know, I can be passionate about God personally, you guys. But I want some people to go to heaven with me. How about you? Right? I don't want to go to heaven alone. I want, my, I want my wife and my kids and my grandkids and my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister. I want them all to go to heaven with me. You see, as soon as God gets your heart, you, you stop being so preoccupied with yourself and you actually start thinking about God and others and wanting to be an influence. And that's what happens to Josiah. This is what happens to all good leaders. In verse 5 it says, Josiah's heart for God's people, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which he had uh, been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that are, were written in the book, get this. He declared this all personally to God in an audience like this. This is what he's doing. He's making this promise. And then it tells us in verse 32, he made all who are present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. Hey, you know what? Choose today who you're going to serve, you guys. The prophet Elijah told the people, why do you keep hopping between two opinions? If Baal, this false god, is God, then go serve him. Go ahead. But if the Lord is God, then serve him. You see, there's a point that leadership is calling people to make a stand in their relationship with God. And there's a time that you have to have some steel conviction in your soul about who you are in your relationship with God. And to be this waffle that just goes back and forth, whatever, whatever environment, you know, I'm around these progressive leftists, so I, you know regurgitate their rhetoric, and I go, I mean, it's just like, you know what, decide who you are. Figure out who you are. Because I promise you, as soon as in your relationship with God, you figure out who you are and you make a stand, you'll be a lot happier about looking at yourself in the mirror every morning. Because there's a consistency with who you are at the core of your being. And that is exactly what Josiah is calling people to do. It says in verse 33, and I love this, all his days... All Josiah's days of leadership, they, the people, did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. His leadership so inspired a generation that they wanted to follow God. You see, once you make that decision, you're no longer serving God because of Josiah. You're serving God because you made the decision to do so. When he's dead and gone, you're still on that track. The sixth thought that we have here is Josiah's heart for Passover. It says in Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 35, now Josiah kept the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like it since the days of Samuel the prophet, and none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept in the 18th year, or the 26th year being his age, of his ministry or his life. You see, the Passover is the greatest segue for the picture of who Jesus is in the New Testament, right? So Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He shed his blood so that people can be forgiven of their sins 
and have eternal life with God. You see, eternal life is not just a lot of time in heaven, but the work of God, the eternal life, is a quality of life here and now, and then it's a quantity of life forever. But it starts here in quality. My life immediately changed with a quality of life. I sensed love, joy, and peace the day I gave my life to Christ that I'd never experienced before. I didn't even know it was possible. I didn't even know that I could tap into that until I believed in Jesus. So the Passover was this picture for the the children of Israel that they remembered the Passover lamb. You remember, it's the 10th plague of Pharaoh. This 10th plague was going to kill all the firstborn, and the death angel was going to come over. So they killed the Passover lamb. They put blood over the top of the door and the sides of the door, and they got their whole family inside. So when the death angel passed over and they saw that they were under, that household was under the blood of the lamb, they were safe. The firstborn did not die. Everything, humans and animals, the firstborn died in the land of Egypt because they were not under the blood. Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, had the Passover with his disciples, and he applied it directly to himself. He broke the Passover bread, and he said, take, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup of wine, which is a picture of his blood. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And Jesus was applying to himself the... Old Testament figurative picture of the Passover. So in this sense, Josiah was unique because he held a Passover that no one in Israel's history had ever held, that the people might be under the blood of the Lamb. You see, it's our ultimate desire, as we walk with the Lord, to point people to Jesus and his redemptive blood that washes away our sins. When I was a little kid, at the few times that my grandparents drugged me to church, which I did not enjoy... I was mystified by my grandmother. My grandmother sang the loudest in church and had the worst voice. (laughs) But she knew every hymn, and she just sang with all of the gumption that she had. And I remember being five or six years old and just sitting there in the pew and watching her and thinking how, how terribly she sang, but with what gumption she did it. But what really struck me was the glory in her face as she did it, her love for God. I can still remember her to this day singing power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder working power. But my grandmother sang like this. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood. Of the... And if that doesn't get your attention as a little kid, see, it's still stuck. I'm 56 years old. I mean, it... there's some things you cannot unhear. It's, just, it's, it's, it's in there forever. Well, but the beautiful thing was she was under the blood, and it was her prayers that brought me into the kingdom to bring me under the blood of the Lamb. Right? So Josiah at every turn points us to the things of the Lord, points us to the things of Jesus, points us to our own heart. But then, as all great leaders, and he's one of my heroes in the Bible, don't you hate it when your heroes stumble and fall? Here's a big blunder. And I share this with you because he's not a perfect guy. This is Josiah's big blunder in verse 20. After all this, all the good that he did, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God, who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself so that he might fight with him, and did not heed the words of Necho. Notice this, he did not heed the words of Nico from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo, and the archer shot King Josiah, so he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers at the age of 39. Raise your hand if you're 39 or younger. Whoa. We would hate to lose all you guys just by one big blunder. Right? But the thing is that when God uses you in a powerful way, sometimes you're so used to jumping into every challenge and fight that comes up, sometimes you might get yourself into one that God hasn't called you to. And somebody might even, from an unlikely place, like the king of Egypt, Josiah might be thinking, you don't even know God. But God spoke through 
king of Egypt, to him and said, and he was very peaceful. He's like, hey, dude, loose paraphrase. You've got to find that in the Greek. Hey, I, I have no conflict with you. I have no beef with you. I'm going to fight this army over here. So why don't you just stay home and mind your own business? Because I would hate to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. And God told me to go do this and to make haste to do it. But, you know, if, if you do this, if you come out, you're coming out and meddling against the will of God. I don't care what phase or what age you are, when you and I get outside of God's will into things that God has not called us to, we will stub our toe. We will fall on our face and we will be humbled in the process. Hopefully we won't, it won't end our life as it did for him because he went into the battle and the archers shot him and he died by arrows. And so he died. Now how, even though you know, it, it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes heroes can be elevated to such a degree you don't think they're human, right? And there's something very humbling to realize that all humans have clay feet. And he had clay feet. But then we come to his funeral. Have you ever wondered about your funeral? Some people think I'm morbid when I say this. You know, it would do you good to take a little time to think about your funeral. To think about, hey, have you ever thought about what people do when they read your obituary? I mean, there's somebody that reads your obituary across town. Hey, Rick passed away. And somebody reads it, and they shed a tear. They're like, oh, I didn't know Rick was even sick. He's dead. A guy across the street's reading the same one. It's like, it's about time that jerk's dead. Because <laughs> all of us have a few of those people in our lives, right? Have you ever wondered who's going to show up at your funeral or who won't come to your funeral? You see, if one of the keys to the Christian life is to live your life backwards. By that I mean... Think about the kind of room full of people you're going to fill up with your daily decisions and how you treat people and how you love people. You see, I've done funerals for 32 years. I don't know how many funerals and weddings and baby dedications and, you know, baptisms, stuff you do in 32 years, but it's, it's a boatload. But I'm always struck by who, who shows up at people's funerals because Solomon said that the memory of someone is like a wonderful perfume if they're a good person. You know that fragrance? They tell us that through your sense of smell is connected to your longest term memory. Did you realize that? So you can, say you walk into a room or a situation and you smell something, like it catapults you back in the time machine to your 12 years old. And you have this, this, this smell. And uh, I, when we first got married, Tammy would ask me, because when I would go to my grandparents' home, which was on 80 acres, 30 head of milking cows on my grandpa's farm, and milking the cows seven days a week, twice a day, at a big barn. And, and all the, there's all these smells, right? So you would have any, you guys have silage pits here? I don't know if you've ever smelled a silage pit. But you smell silage pit, or you smell manure, and I would tell my, when we'd drive somewhere and we'd smell manure, and Tammy would say, oh, I smell it. I said, it smells like home. And she's like, Remind me never to encourage you to be a candle maker, right? <laughs> Want my manure? Um, but, but the smell of it would take me back in my childhood to the only place that was safe, the only place that was secure, the only place that no matter what happened in my life, we could always go back there, and it was always the same. The cows got melt morning and night. My grandfather was in his irrigation boots. He would eat lunch. He would snore for an hour on the couch. He would, you know, it's... All these things, but they were connected, honestly, to my sense of smell. The Bible says a person's wonderful life is like that smell. It's like a beautiful fragrance. It's like a beautiful aroma, beautiful smell. Now, what does a funeral like Josiah look like? Well, look at it. It inspires people to write songs about him, and it invites one of the greatest prophets of all time to come to his funeral, a guy by the name of Jeremiah. It says in verse 24, And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah. Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And to this day, all singing men and singing women speak of Josiah in their lamentations. They made it a custom in Israel, and indeed they are written in the lamentations. That means they wrote songs and sang songs, and it was in the top 40 about the king. Now, <laughs> Did you know there is in the top 40 a, a song now that was written about President Biden? You guys knew that, right? It's called Let's Go Brandon. But um, 
a rapper, I mean, honestly, it's like the number one seller on uh, Apple Music, and, and a rapper did it, and uh, like catapulted him to the top. I, I don't, th those songs weren't like that for Josiah. <laughs> They're like, we miss you, Josiah. You are wonderful, Josiah. We wish we had another king like you, Josiah. They had good lyrics. They had really good lyrics. But Jeremiah, sometimes we get challenged because Jeremiah was one of the greatest prophets of all the Old Testament. And sometimes we get a hard time by being a voice in our relationship with God and a voice in the realm of our culture, speaking of elected officials. And I want you to know that Jeremiah spoke of Josiah in a similar way, and he compared the wonderful leadership of Josiah to the awful leadership that he was experiencing in his day. Did you know that? From Jeremiah 22, verse 15 through 17, here is Jeremiah. No doubt he's going to share this at Josiah's funeral, possibly even. Shall you reign? He's talking to the bad leaders of his time. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar, your fancy houses, through your <laughs> special interest groups that make you rich in Washington, D.C.? Did not your father, this is speaking of Josiah, eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. You know, Josiah just was concerned about doing what was right. And it was well with him. And then he said, he judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Was not his, this knowing me? He said, Josiah's simple relationship of knowing God and doing what was right, he said, that represented him knowing me. Verse 17, this is the political leaders of Jeremiah's day, and see if the shoe fits. Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but covetousness, for shedding innocent blood, and practicing oppression and violence. Is there nothing new under the sun? Good leader, Josiah. Bad leaders in his nation. What did those bad leaders do? Once again, they were greedy. As we watch Nancy Pelosi and her and her husband with their investments, now worth $100 million, getting out of California that, that she has ruined and moving to the free state of Florida. Isn't this mind-blowing? All these mass crazy politicians go to Florida to party. And yet they, back, they, they insult Ron DeSantis all through the process. But for shedding innocent blood, have you been blown away by the rhetoric this week because Roe versus Wade may be turned over? These radical progressive left are... They came and said, they are fighting to kill children. To kill children. Who will stand up to them and say, stop killing kids? 62 million children since Roe v. Wade. And they're practicing oppression. Have you feel oppressed the last two years? Right? And violence. Have you discovered that when the progressive left destroys community, burns down buildings... It's called a protest. It's not a riot. That's a riot. It's not a protest. But all the progressive left through the election year of 2020, Biden, Harris, were cheering on the people that were destroying entire communities. This is the kind of leadership. Now, Jeremiah was the man of God, the prophet in Jerusalem. And he did not avoid the opportunity to say Josiah was a great king. And you who are serving now are not. And today, we can look back in history and look at some great presidents. But today, we have no such person in the White House or the administration or in Sacramento. Even this week, I got a text from somebody that has their ears to the ground and has contacts in the capital of this state and said there are seven lawmakers getting together, coming up with a bill to try to slip it through to... Uh, vaccinate children who are 12, down to 12 years of age, without parental consent. They, they want to pass a law in this state to put an injection in your children, and you get no say. And that's the law they're trying to draft right now. Whether it gets passed, we have no idea. But unless somebody that has some guts or backbone stands up and says something, how will they be called out into the public to be exposed? But in doing so, brace yourselves. We have a huge target. 
to be the smear campaign center of Newberry Park. <laughs> We're the Godspeak cult. We're those crazy white vigilante, white supremacist, bigoted, xenophobe, transphobe, homophobes, any phobe you want, they got the phobia up there. But because we speak the truth, we're the ones spreading misinformation. <laughs> it's ironic. It's somewhat comical. So we can't let it slow us down. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Pray that you would strengthen us in our desire to love you, to serve you, to follow you, to be useful. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray that you would open the eyes of the leaders that you would bring them into a place of truth. Lord, honestly, that you'd break into their world and save their souls, that they might know the fear of the Lord, to have wisdom. And we know that's the beginning of things, and yet they have rejected you and turned their backs on you. And it's no wonder, Lord, they're groping around in the dark with no clue because they have rejected the source of love, light, and truth. So, Lord, break into their world supernaturally, we pray. And we pray that you would give us courage to brace ourselves against the onslaught of the smear campaign that is constant, Lord. Pray for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I've seen light in the darkness. I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now I worry about tomorrow or fear in times of trouble. I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I will keep my heart seeking.